There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show. Tuesday morning, the 22nd of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The British Prime Minister is poised to win a vote on Brexit in the House of Commons, but if MPs vote in favour of proceeding with the withdrawal agreement bill, a number of votes will follow. This is where Boris Johnson may find he's defeated by opposition to his proposals. First of all, there's the timetable. The government wants to have this done and dusted by Thursday but MPs will most likely say that they need more time and force an extension past the 31st of this month. Then there are amendments calling for a referendum allowing the public to endorse the deal if it is passed in Parliament and another amendment which would force the government to negotiate a customs union with the EU. At home politicians here will no doubt watch what's happening in London very closely but when the all resumes today. Cervical check and uh, maintenance for lone parents will dominate the agenda, but much of the focus will be on so-called phantom votes. As you know, Fianna Fáil TDs, Timmy Dooley, Niall Collins and Lisa Chambers have found themselves embroiled in controversy. It's a controversy that continues, as we'll hear now. Sean Defoe, our political correspondent, is on the line. And a very good morning to you, Sean. And thanks for joining us. Uh, there's some more names uh, that have uh, come into the loop. Barry Cowan, Damien English and Michael Ring, it would seem. Yeah, that's that's right, Michael. I mean, we always thought uh, Brexit would be the scare at Halloween, but now phantom votes have made their way into the door to actually uh, torment politicians and a lot of questions being asked uh, of them at the moment. A few limitations on them as well, though. We, we obviously saw last week with Niall Collins and uh, Timmy Dooley, they both stood down the feet fall from bench. We've also seen it in terms of Lisa Chambers, whose argument seems to have been accepted by Micheál Martin, but questions being asked about Harry Cowan as well, where he was in the doll for certain votes. There's video footage that certainly seems uh, to show his, his button and his chair having cast a vote despite him not being in the chamber. Also questions around Damien English, which he denies. He said he was uh, out of camera and his, uh, that his diary shows that he was in the doll chamber on the afternoon where he can't be seen in his seat. Michael mm. Ring and Owen Murphy, two others who are the same, who say they, they were. Um, the uh, I suppose big limitation is that the actual camera system in the doll doesn't show the full chamber. You, you get maybe around half of the TDs, mostly from the Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil benches, but you can't see the rest of the chamber, so you can't see people who maybe wandered over to the opposition benches uh, to have a chat with somebody who were at the back of the chamber taking a phone call. Uh, so it's very, very hard to prove categorically who was and wasn't 
in the chamber unless you see them wandering in straight afterwards uh, it seems a bit more clear cut with Jimmy Dooney and Colin stuff mm. uh, but others not so much Yeah and uh, this is uh, the peculiar thing uh, about it uh, because if Damien English was in the chamber and asked somebody else to vote for him uh, he's done nothing wrong it would seem no, this seems to be very commonplace talking to TDs. Uh, what typically happens, I suppose, for people who don't really understand the Dáil procedures is that they sit for three days a week and all of the potential divisions on any piece of legislation or motions that happen during the week are saved up for Thursday afternoon and they have a long voting block then, which usually lasts for kind of between 40 minutes and an hour and, and 20 minutes, and they vote them all through. Each vote takes between 8 and 12 minutes to do, but only 60 seconds of that is actually voting. The rest is ringing the bells to bring the TDs to the doll, is going through the procedure, counting up, having the tellers, discussing it, uh, etc. So you and during this process, for the most of it, they're locked inside the doll chamber. So what quite often happens is TDs will wander over to maybe a constituency colleague to, to discuss the problem locally. They'll try and corner a minister to get something done if they're looking for something in, in health or housing or some other department, or they might go to discuss a, a motion they have down and some amendments that have been put to it by other TPs. So uh, there's actually a bit of business that'll get done in the door during that hour. So for some of them, they're only time to have a word with a minister. So quite often they would wander away for their seats. And then for the 60 seconds of voting when it's called, they might not necessarily notice or they might leave it a bit late and they'll shout over to one of their colleagues who sits near their bench and say, will you press uh, yes or no or abstain or whatever it is for me? And uh, particularly with the larger parties, because by tradition, they pretty much all vote the same way, a little bit less for independence. So and there's nothing wrong with that. As long as you're in the chamber, that's absolutely fine. The problem with the Timmy Dooley not common situation was that Timmy Dooley wasn't in the chamber at the time, and that, of course, is not OK. He effectively cast two votes. You were also seeing that with Lisa Chambers and Derek Leary, where he wasn't in the chamber at the time. Uh, and... Well, she only cast over one vote, she certainly should have told the teller and a number of different TDs have told me that they have quite often either voted the wrong way by accident or has just about missed the vote and you still have a little bit of time then to go down and tell the tellers or the count caller and correct the record of the door, but that doesn't, wasn't done in these cases. Uh, and they only started pressing buttons uh, relatively recently, uh, 17 years ago, I think this uh, electronic form of voting was introduced. Before that, they literally voted with their feet. Uh, yeah, they used to do, as many people will have seen in the House of Commons in the last while, they vote run through the lobby. That takes quite a bit longer. It's still done on the more serious votes. The likes of, say, a motion of no confidence in a minister would require a walk-through vote, and that takes uh, a good bit longer. It takes about 20 minutes to actually do. But it's more foolproof because you're literally walking through and you're signing your name to yes or no. So if something were to go wrong there or a vote to be recorded, it would be a, a very, very serious uh, error. It's not as though someone else can just do it for you. And there's been people in the last day or two calling for maybe that to be returned to as a more foolproof way. There's other people suggesting different measures. I know in the European Parliament they use key cards to put your key card in to actually cast your vote, which makes it a bit more secure. Some people have identified uh, fingerprint scanners and there's uh, one of the TDs in Loud and Mead, who I uh, will not name to save his blushes, did suggest an arse recognition system to me yesterday in the Dáil, so to make sure that every arse was in their seat when they were actually cast, pressing the button. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> I'm not sure what to say about that. Are you sure you don't want to tell us who said that? <laughs> I'm sure I'll save his blushes for now, yeah. All right. You, okay. can, try, you, can, do the, you can do the digging yourself there, Michael. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but uh, what's uh, the situation with this legally? Is it a grey area because there's a constitutional obligation on TDs to be present in order to vote. Yeah, there is. And this is 
this is where we're going to find the scope of the Count Cora's investigation, mm. I think, particularly interesting because there is an argument there that the, the lads broke the law. There is an argument there that they committed voter fraud as well. I mean, if you voted on behalf of me in the general mm. election, that would be voter fraud. So why isn't it the same inside the door? So I think uh, the scope and the seriousness with, the, with which the Count Corder's investigation takes this in is, is going to be interesting. And I think a lot of people maybe who are just listening to it mm. casually are thinking, oh, it's not that big a deal. They're just messers around in the door. But th- mm. it's actually quite a quite a serious undercurrent to it. Minister Charlie Flanagan acknowledged yesterday that it could raise questions about the legality of some legislation already passed. I mean, for this particular Mm. vote on a motion on a Thursday that was overwhelmingly defeated, it's not all that important. And in the current doll, you tend to see pretty overwhelming votes. But, I mean, there were days in the last government and governments before where votes were very, very tight on issues like the budget, on other very important Mm. issues. And if you've got a TD casting two votes in those that could potentially make a difference, I mean, there's reports already that um, some anti-abortion groups are trawling back through votes that were made on the abortion legislation to see if they can find any discrepancies, which could potentially lead to a court challenge to Mm. the law and lead to all sorts of trouble and bother for for very many areas of society. And this is where it gets gets particularly complicated, isn't it? Because, uh, I mean, it's quite probable that the TDs have not actually broken a law, a law that is on the statute books, uh, but that's because there isn't legislation in line with the Constitution. But if uh, they have acted outside of what is constitutionally allowable, if legislation has been passed, it's possible that the legislation was passed in a way that itself was unconstitutional. Exactly. So it raises all sorts of questions uh, about various bits of legislation. And it's incredibly, as I mentioned at the very start, mm. even with the cameras and identifying who was in there, it is incredibly difficult. Now, one a number of TVs have said to me that they are uh, particularly annoyed at uh, some of the tenors in the door as well for not noticing the discrepancy and not noticing that people weren't particularly in their seats. I mean, that's a bit of passing the blame on to somebody else. But, you know, it wouldn't happen in a walkthrough vote, for example, where they have they monitor it very, very closely. So there's a huge amount of questions. I'd be very, very surprised if the method of voting in the doll isn't re- overhauled after this or certainly changed to make it a bit more strict or that the guidelines are a bit more strict, that they w- it was done away with this idea of you were able to get someone else to hit the button for you. So certainly a huge amount of questions uh, and it could potentially uh, undermine other things. I, I think by the way this doll has been and the way the votes have gone, uh, they've tended to be pretty overwhelming. There's not been... Uh, you know, Fianna Fáil abstaining or whatever has given the numbers to to the government. So I'm not entirely sure whether they will end up there, but you can be sure that a lot of people are going to to be looking at it. But again, that proof is so hard to find. There's no camera at the back of the chamber somewhere. A TD could say, yeah, I was in there. I was just up at the back on the phone and we have no way of knowing. Yeah, well, uh, having said that, we know uh, that Timmy Dooley was outside of uh, the chamber when Niall Collins voted on his behalf and did so on six different occasions. Uh, What consequence do you think there will be for the TDs? Obviously, there's uh, the immediate consequence that they've already uh, faced into and uh, they've been sacked, uh, demoted from uh, the Fianna Fáil front bench. uh, But will there be further ramifications? There very well could be, depending on what the Concordia's investigation actually finds. I mean, Michal Martin is in a pretty tricky situation here with the two of them, also with potentially Barry Cowan as well, and with you know Lisa Chambers and Derek Cleary, who up until now had been pretty much whiter than white in the doll, also being drawn into this, uh, albeit on a, a more minor level, mm. it would seem. I, I mean... Uh, 
any of the Fianna Fáil TDs I talked to yesterday had very, very little sympathy for Niall Commons and Timmy Dooley. One of them said he just could not understand the logic behind two senior politicians doing what they did and, and not seeing the gain either. I mean, uh, there is no extra expenses reimbursed or anything by your Dáil voting record. They all scan in day to day. That's how mm-hmm. they get their allowances. There's no... It wasn't a consequential vote. It was something that was going to be very handily defeated anyway. So I just can't, and I haven't found a TD yet who can tell me what the potential benefit was of them voting uh, for, of Niall Collins voting for Timmy Judy when he was outside of the chamber. And instead, it could have very, very serious ramifications for them because, you know, if the, the Count Corda upholds an objection against them or found that they, you know, they acted incredibly improperly, which is quite likely, then they're gone from the front bench and gone from their senior roles and, and potentially if Fianna Fáil is in government again, any potential uh, ministry that might have come with it, you would have said Timmy Dooley at least was possibly in line for, for a ministry where they back in government. Mm. Uh, and, but it does make the, uh, you know, on a wider political scale, it's the first real punch that Fianna Fáil has gotten for quite a while. Number TD said they were riding high, they've been catching Fianna Gael, slowly building up behind them. Uh, and now they've had this self-inflicted wound. Would it be right to think that their political opponents are enjoying it? Oh, we've seen it before. Fine Gael have been hopping all over it the last few days. The inbox almost hasn't stopped with uh, different questions that they want uh, for members of, of Fianna Fáil. Uh, it, it's been fairly non-stop now, a little bit more limited this morning as Michael Ring, Owen Murphy uh, and Damien English have been somewhat dragged into it and started to try and explain that they, you know, this wasn't what they were doing. They were actually inside the chamber. So in many ways, it's a pox on all your houses, but Fine Gael have certainly been, been hopping on board of it. You know, I had one minister uh, saying to me yesterday, look, this is your alternative government, you know, this is your alternative front bench who are doing this, how can you trust them? Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of questions being asked by mm. Fine Gael, so they're definitely going to use it to the maximum of their political advantage as well, having been under the cost for, for so long as they have been. I'd say Michal Martin is livid, is he? I would imagine so. Mm. Uh, you know, two of your, your quite yeah. senior politicians, two guys who've been in the Dáil for a long time, who were on your front bench, who were fairly, you know, steady you're going into potentially a snap November election mm. if we get a Brexit deal and for something so stupid, yeah. you know, something that was uh, was pretty and utterly un- unneeded, didn't have mm. massive benefits mm. for the party, uh, I think Michal Martin can only be, be raging at the moment. Do you think it could influence the timing of a, a general election? Uh, if it was, well, maybe... Uh would this uh, sort of make the argument uh, to definitely go to the people? I'm not sure it's that definitive, and I mean, we're still waiting on Brexit. You know, you mentioned to start all the yep. various hoops that have to be gone through in the House of Commons this week, and we've, we've been, it's kind of like waiting for Gallo, waiting mm. for Boris now, you know. But um, I think certainly it would help the people in Fine Gael who think, you know, let's go for this. Fianna Fáil have a small bit of a bloody nose now. We might get a bit of a boon on the back of a Brexit deal. The Taoiseach will be, uh, you know, you saw his opinion poll last week up 15% in his personal approval rating. So it'll certainly help those in the party who are calling for it. But as I say, we're entirely watching events in Westminster. That'll be the overriding theme, but it will certainly give them something to attack Fianna Fáil. And the, the phrase you're going to hear again and again from Fianna Gael, and they've been using it for a while, is reckless Fianna Fáil. They've been using the hashtag non-stop, and uh, this will just <laughs> feed into that. God almighty, right. Uh, talk to us about some of uh, those Brexit hoops, if you would, Sean. Uh, is it right to assume uh, that there'll be some excitement today uh, when the first, first vote is passed uh, and MPs uh, support uh, the bill uh, proceeding through the House? Yeah, assuming they actually do, and it does look as though that, that might actually happen. It's, it's slightly different to the big occasion we were expecting on Saturday, 
but is the, the first step in the legislation actually passing? And this is what the, the Letwin Amendment wants to say, was that, look, we want to see all the amendments, the, the parts of the legislation actually pass before mm-hmm. we give it an indicative vote and an indicative tick ahead. So it could, and that would be a pretty significant step in this process because this withdrawal agreement does have more support in the House, if not quite full support in the House, than any of Theresa May's deals actually did. But the timeline that Jacob Rees-Mogg outlined yesterday is incredibly breakneck. They want this passed in a vote at 7.30pm on Thursday evening. They only published the legislation last night. It's 115 pages long. It has 125 pages of accompanying notes. And I mean, that's a lot of reading even for someone like Jacob Rees-Mogg to get through. And a Um, a lot of reading, it would seem, for Steve Barclay, uh, the Brexit minister, to get through uh, seemed uncertain about aspects of it and how it would affect Northern Ireland. Uh, yeah, I mean, entirely shaky on mm. some of this, particularly Stephen Barclay. Um, and, you know, you wonder just how brief they all were. I mean, some uh, people, uh, I think it was only two or three people, members of Boris Johnson's full cabinet actually knew the full details of the deal last Thursday morning when it was agreed, which is quite striking. So uh, there's a lot of detail there to get through. And MPs are probably right in saying, look, this is one of the most important, if not the most important bill we're ever going to be asked to pass in parliamentary history. And you're wanting us to rush it through in three days. That's not on. It's going to take a little bit longer. Yes, let's try and get out by October 31st or have a small extension, maybe. Mm -hmm. But we're not going to go into this absolutely blind and sign a deal that we don't know exactly what it means for Northern Ireland or for any other part of the UK. So while Boris Johnson and Jacob Rees-Mogg might be trying to force it through the Commons this week in order to get what they want and get out on October 31st, which is only next week now, Michael, Mm. as much as we've been talking about (laughs) that date for absolute Mm -hmm. months in our head, it's only Mm. next week. Uh, I think they, they may well be barred from that and we could be looking at an extension of, of some length. And then there's uh, the amendments, as I mentioned earlier on as well. Uh, there's the amendment uh, which would uh, force the government to negotiate a customs union with Europe uh, and uh, this other amendment uh, which is being proposed uh, that it would have to go back to the people to endorse the deal. Yeah, the confirmatory referendum which has been talked about uh, seems to have uh, most support in Labour at the moment as much as anything can have full Labour support at the moment with the way their positions keep changing between what Keir Starmer is saying and what Jeremy Corbyn is saying. But uh, that does seem to have some support. It would be interesting because if that passes, it may well mean that the deal loses Tory support because they won't Mm. vote for that and then they'd have to vote against their own deal, which would be a very bizarre scenario. There's the other one you mentioned that would uh, ask them to tie a customs union to it, which, of course, Boris Johnson doesn't want to do and Northern Ireland doesn't want to do as well. There's been some rumblings, although I don't think it's, it's particularly serious that the DUP may back the motion for a second referendum it, because they dislike this deal so much that uh, that Remain might be a better option for them. But again, I, I don't 100% see that happening. So, look, there's a hundred mm. twists and turns this Brexit tale could take. I was talking to some uh, senior government figure last night because the Taoiseach was going to be briefed by the Cabinet this morning on the State of Play and his talk about Boris Johnson. And, uh, you know, I asked him for a prediction. He just said, look, we've stopped making predictions. We're not sure what's going to happen. We're just going to watch and wait and see and hope. OK, well, you may be waiting for some time, it sounds. Uh, but we leave it there for the moment. And thank you indeed, as always. Sean Defoe, our political correspondent. As you know, a learner driver must be accompanied by a qualified driver. That's always been the case, but it's a law that was ignored up until the 22nd of December when amendments were introduced which were aimed at clamping down on what was a widespread practice. But it seems as though that law is being implemented in different ways, in different parts of the country. Let's hear more from Susan Gray, who's the chairperson of PARC. A very good morning to you, Susan, and uh, thanks for joining us here on the programme this morning. Just outline for us, if you would, uh, the penalties for learner drivers who drive unaccompanied. 
Well, since 2014, Michael, if they're caught driving on a company, they get two penalty points on a fine. And if they're caught, wasn't well, they save two penalties. But if they take it to court, it's double four okay. penalties. Right, and and now, the, fi- the fine is eighty euro, uh, further sixty euro if uh, they're driving without the L plates uh, on uh, the car, and the two penalty points for if they go to court. Uh, but then there's also this new law under the Clancy Amendment, uh, which uh, sees cars being impounded. Yes, and we must remember that the maximum points that a learner can accumulate before being disqualified is seven. So uh, the Clancy Amendment came on the 22nd of December 2018, whereby um, the Guardian now has the power to seize the vehicle of an unaccompanied learner, and they must pay uh, 125 to get it released at an extra 35 per day okay, so from the compound, you know? Yeah. And you're into are, you're into two hundred and seventy euro at that stage. If the car belongs to somebody else, they may have to uh, face a fine of two thousand euro for allowing you to drive on a company. Yes, and it all looks very good. But when we then went on and asked for an update, because you know what we're like, we keep um, a record of things. We like to see how every law is working and how it's been enforced. Mm. So when we asked for uh, figures per guard the division to see how it was working in every division, and many vehicles were being seized, um, we were shocked to be told that, say, in the likes of Sligo and Leitrim, they give us a breakdown per division. So Sligo and Leitrim is one division. Only 12 were seized since the 22nd of December, nine-month period. Now, they're very rural areas, Michael. Mm. And you compare that to, say, Kildare Division, Mm -hmm. 138 species there. So we would love to know what's going on. Is a certain, we don't know, but a certain chief superintendent not treating this this um, offence of driving unaccompanied as serious as a serious road traffic offence, as much as they are, say, in Kildare and in the Dublin divisions. If we're to stamp out this epidemic of driving unaccompanied, that's been that drivers, that the many, so many unlearned uh, drivers have been. Um, breaking this law for years and years. Mm. This is a chance well, to really stamp it out now. So we really need every division to send a clear message to the learner drivers in their division. 284 cars seized in Dublin West, so 201 in uh, Dublin yeah. South. Uh, just 12, as you say, in Sligo Leitrim. 14 in Clare. 28 in Meath, 111 in Limerick and 138, you said, in Kildare. Uh, very different uh, records. Yes. Uh, yeah. And like when you um, add up the, the total of uh, Dublin, 683 cars have been seized. And yet in Clare they only managed to seize 
18. And in Westmeath, 22. Waterford Division, 22. Them figures are very, very low. Kerry, 42. Donegal, 54. Now, Donegal was very, very low mm. for the first couple of months. They seemed to need time to get it really started. But um, what we would like to see is um, Garda headquarters um, putting it up on Pulse, doing a check say, every month and putting it up in the portal to show every division how their division is doing and to show that they're monitoring it and keeping it for sale. To do these comparisons that you've done yourself yes, uh, and these yes. figures are up to We will be asking in a couple of months and again, well, Tommy Byrne hopefully will raise it in the doyle and see we would like to think that come Christmas on the first anniversary of Clancy Law that the comparison won't be so far apart that all the divisions will be there won't be such a like you expect a disparity in some but not to this extent it's, it, the, we can't find a reason why there would be such a difference, especially in rural counties, mm. Michael, where, you know, a lot of uh, learner drivers will be in them. And is it that Gardaí are turning a, a blind eye uh, that perhaps uh, in some parts of uh, the country, uh, some Gardaí are more sympathetic uh, towards learner drivers and think, well, they need to get from A to B or whatever uh, way they're looking on this? We don't know. They may be giving out the penalty points from the 2014 um, when we got uh, made a penalty point event in 2014. They may be now stopping them and giving them the penalty points. Whereas in the past maybe they weren't so proactive in that. But um, uh, there couldn't be a strong enough message sent out to the drivers that they must abide by the laws of the land. And like when RSA, when you hear the RSA saying that, <coughs> excuse me, I've called, mm. uh, that approximately 12 learners are involved in fatal crashes every year and an average of 10 of them mm. are driving unaccompanied at the time. And what's the problem from uh, the learner's point of view? Is it uh, that they won't pass a, a test or they have to wait so long to sit a, a test that they end up driving unaccompanied? That is a whole huge, huge issue there, Michael, whereby the RSA are renewing learner permits without insisting the learner must have lessons under their belt and prove that they've taken lessons or that they've um, sat a driving test. Mm. And that's why they don't turn up for the tests? Yes. So you... Now, the RSA don't seem to be tackling that because in 2013, I think I told you in my last interview, mm-hmm. they, put a rec- they put a provision on their road safety strategy 2013 to 2020 and they said they knew there was a huge problem with 
uh, learners not turning up for their tests and having a learner permit renewed. So <clears throat> they were they put a provision on their road safety strategy in 2013, saying that um, they were going to make it mandatory that mm. if you wanted a subsequent learner permit, you must at least turn up for the testing. But not just simply apply mm. for it. Give the RFA 85 euro and literally buy the next permit. I take but it, though, that if people that. don't turn up for the test, Susan, they don't feel that they'll pass, and it would seem odd that people don't have the confidence to pass a driving test, but have the confidence to drive unaccompanied. Exactly, Michael. So well said. We must... If a learner knew that they could not renew their permit until such time that they actually start the test, wouldn't you think that would give great encouragement to them to take the proper lessons, practice, 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 mm. and go in with a view yeah. and with an attitude that they really, really are going to try to pass this test? And to learn how to but drive to be safer for their own uh, yeah. point of view, from their own point of view, and for other people, and uh, to uh, pay less in insurance, uh, as uh, the ad campaign has uh, been highlighting to people. Okay, yeah, well, like we'll leave it there for the moment, uh, Susan, uh, but thank you as always for joining us here on the programme. Susan Gray is uh, the chairperson of the Road Safety Group Park. The Michael Reed Show. Well, sterling is at a five-month high at 86 uh, pence uh, to a Europe. Paddy Malone, Piero with Dundalk Chamber of Commerce on the line. A very good morning to you, Paddy, and uh, thanks morning, for joining us. Uh, have uh, the markets decided that the Brexit crisis is over? I think it's a temporary, it's a temporary lull or a temporary stall. Pause, I think, is the best way to describe it. I don't think this thing's going to be over for a long, long time. I think, you know, I think Brexit's going to happen now. I think that's, it's, it's, it's looking on the cards that it will, that he has the numbers now at this stage once the, uh, in the independent Conservatives, those that he kicked out of the party are happy that he's constrained to a certain extent so that it will be extended to the 31st of January, whether he likes it or not. Um, think that's in place. Mm. Uh, but it means that 31st of January, it's going to happen short of a general election or a referendum or something, some seismic change. Or both. Or both. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, mm. it's difficult to see it, but um, I think, the, the, I think the, the problem the UK have is that too many Remainers and too many people who have, you know, sensible people, were rather careless or casual with with Cameron's situation mm. when he put the thing before, he was care, careless. Uh, I know I've said it to you before. I spoke to people who will be on the the Labour Party and um, went will will be Labour actually members of the Labour Party in Ireland went to the UK to help them in the referendum and couldn't believe mm. uh, that there was no canvassing. I think some of our government ministers did more canvassing in in England than I English so, ministers yeah. did. Yeah. Yep. Um, and they've walked into this. Um, and, you know, I mean, the only thing I can say is that, um, thank God for United Front here in Ireland, that the opposition, whether it's, you know, Labour or, or Fianna Fáil or the Greens or Sinn Féin, all of them supported the Taoiseach in his efforts. Um, and at least he didn't have to worry about what was going on in the Dáil. Um, and 
he seemed to secure what we were hoping for with North South and um, that there wouldn't be an economic border, you know, f- five miles up the road, and he seems to have succeeded. Okay, so, but it looks like the House of Commons will vote today to proceed with uh, the bill, uh, but the MPs will say we're not being given a- enough time, so it won't happen on the thirty first of October. If Labour uh, a, a Labour amendment passes, uh, which would force the government to negotiate a customs union with Europe, that's quite possible that Boris Johnson will just throw it out and go to a general election if he can, if he's allowed to. Uh, and uh, if uh, somehow it passes without that uh, amendment, it's quite possible that he'll be forced uh, to put it uh, back to the people in another referendum. Yeah, I think those are the two big hurdles he faces today. Um, and... I mean, I'd love to think that both of them could be, um, that, that, that the, the opposition would win on both of them. But we just have to wait and see. Um, I think if I'm looking at it from the uh, from the dark business point of view, we, what we wanted we have in that we can continue to trade with Newry and vice versa and be in a, in a strong economic situation. Mm. And it's interesting that tonight, or on Thursday night, Intertrade celebrates 20 years of having been established under the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, a big shindig up in up in um, Christchurch in Dublin, in Dublin, and it's good to think that you know the, at least on the relationship on the island, it's a positive situation. Now, for those exporters that are dealing or and the importers that are dealing with mainland Britain, um, you know the problems go on and the the work goes on in addressing those issues. And I yeah. know our members, we had our annual dinner on Saturday night, and there was six hundred and seventy at it. And uh, I'm not saying Brexit was the top of the agenda. I think the, the comment on some ladies' dresses probably, might have been slightly higher. But in reality, it was there all the time in the background and people saying, well, at least not South's OK, but I now have to worry about the other side of it. You know? Well, they go on. Those problems uh, in exporting to the on. UK for people who are trading in the Republic, yeah, but it, it seems as though there'd be similar problems for businesses in Northern Ireland. The Brexit Secretary, yes. Steve Barclay, yesterday uh, telling a House of Lords committee that Northern Irish businesses would have to complete export declarations in order to send any goods to the UK. So it may end up being easier to trade between Dundalk and Derry than it is between Derry and Liverpool. Yeah, and in some ways it's no harm that Northern business align themselves this way. Look, it, it is a problem for, for the UK authorities. Um, look, all I can say is that we would hope that there wouldn't be too much of a red tape, I mean, b- between Northern Ireland and, and, and Great Britain, that, that, that it would be reasonably easy to keep it flowing. But that very much is going to be up to the British. If they go for, uh, you know, uh, dropping standards, uh, particularly in the environment, particularly in health and safety and other areas, uh, and particularly on food, then it is going to be difficult. Uh, um, so therefore, the Labour amendment to suggest to stay with a customs alignment and customs uh, alignment with, with the EU would mm. solve that issue. So very much, if there is to be a border created down the Irish Sea, it will be a Darling Street's own making. It won't be anything to do with the EU. It will be Darling Street that will decide that, 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 that that's what they've done. Um, and I hope they don't do it. I mean, and I yeah. would like to think that, you know, the Labour amendment would get through but looking at it and looking at the numbers, I don't believe it will. Should we be grateful to think uh, that this won't happen on the 31st of October, that there is some breathing space? Or, yeah. uh, should we be concerned that it's going to go on even longer? Look, I, 
look, uncertainty is the one thing that people and business hates. I mean, and you hear that constantly, time and time again. Paddy, I want to know where I stand. And I can see it as an accountant. We have, I've made a number of submissions to the banks for lending facilities and all the rest of it. And been more successful this year than in the past. And yet, sometimes those people are actually saying, Paddy, I know I have the facility. When do I have to draw it down by? Can I, can I delay it? Uh, can I postpone it? And I'm saying, well, look, you know, you have to draw the facility to the next date. We, we'll have to go and actually agree with the banks to, to extend it. I don't want to see that because that's money not being spent locally that otherwise would be generating some business, um, particularly coming up to Christmas. Mm. But I can understand business, and I'm not going to be the one to say to them, no, no, we just go going home with this. So it is having a negative impact, and it will continue to have a negative impact. There are very few businesses that, are, that I can identify that are going to say, we'll win out of this. There will be individual wins, like Algem mm. coming in and a few others. Uh, I think Wasdell, the primary reason why they're here, those two companies, is um, the, is Brexit. I mean, so there are individual wins within the town, and, and it's great to get those businesses here. But on an overall basis, if I'm looking at the tourism market out in Carlingford and everything else, you know, they're losing. And that's the problem with it. And the only thing I can hope is that with a relative straightforward north-south economic situation, the Carlingford Lock and the tourism region mm. can, can survive. And I was listening to Niall Gibbons this morning, who's the chair of Tourism Ireland, saying that his role is to sell the whole island. Well, I hope that he learns that he, he should focus on this region in particular, because in the past, Tourism Ireland has not sold this region to the level that it should. Okay. Um, and that's a message we would keep. But the, the message for business in general is, it's better this week than it was last week. Um, business in Dundalk can continue to look for businesses in Uri, but Brexit is still going to cause problems. But uh, certainty is still a long way off. Uh, I suppose the only uh, way that can obviously be achieved is if uh, the House of Commons approves this deal and they go ahead. Uh, but a general election and a referendum uh, could result in God knows what. Yeah, your guess would be as good as mine. The only hope that I would have is if the Conservatives do win, that Boris won't go back and try and do it again to make it a harder Brexit to keep the EOG satisfied, mm. that he would be satisfied with this deal and go ahead with it. But if he had a majority on his own, God knows what the man would do. Um, and all I can do is look at it and say, you know, I hope the people of Britain used of vote carefully. But the problem that the British have is that PR is not there. And this first-past-the-post situation causes problems. And the only way the opposition is going to work is if the Liberals and the Labour Party agree what constituencies they will not contest. One or other of them will stand aside to allow the other to, to, to get a, a, the anti-Brexit vote, okay. the, the anti-Brexit strong yeah. vote through. That's the only way that uh, he can be stopped in a general election. OK, that's a, a big ask. Uh, we leave it, it there, is. though. Thank yeah. you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Paddy Malone, PRO with Dundalk's Chamber of Commerce. The Michael Reed Show. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns is here with some of the calls and text messages that have come to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to everybody listening in. It's all about the voting this morning, Michael. Yeah. And from Drahada phoned in, listening into your discussion, and says that there is a serious need to implement rules around voting. If you are not in your own chair to vote, you should be in that chair. And if you're not, you shouldn't be allowed to be voting from another part of the chamber. 
full stops, says Anne. Okay, how many times did Anne ring in? <laughs> once. Oh, just, just the once, <laughs> just was the it? Once. Okay, she had her say, but it had her say just the once. Just the once. All oh, right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, were any of the votes lost or won because of Dooley Collins? I don't think so. A big fuss about nothing. It'd be different if the actual result had been affected says Tommy from Drogheda. Yeah, well, therein lies a very serious question uh, and I don't know if anybody knows the answer to that just yet. Liam from Navin also listening in and says, in a general election, Michael, if you and I vote, we cannot vote for another person. That's mm. against the law. So why should they be allowed to do that in the doll? Mm. Yep. Paul from Navin says... Timmy Dooley and Niall Collins are two senior front bench, front bench members of the party. They should have known better, but as your speaker said, they didn't gain anything from it. So in my book, it was more a silly error, but not a hanging offence, says Paul. OK, well, yeah, that may be your view. Uh, there is uh, this legal aspect to it, though, because uh, the Constitution says you have to be in the chamber in order to vote. Uh, and if you weren't in the chamber and you voted, uh, which is what happened in Timmy Dooley's case. Uh, it's in breach of the Constitution. What that means legally, uh, I don't know, because I don't think there's anything on the statute books uh, which makes it an offence, but uh, this will be what uh, leads uh, the investigation that the Corla has ordered into this. Yes, well, Jared from Dublin was also in touch and he feels that Dooley, Collins, Murphy and English should all be sacked immediately with no pension or anything. He says Murphy. Was, Who's Murphy? Owen Murphy. I think he's talking about. Okay, why is that? I don't because think I think he, he was one of the names mentioned. Was he at one stage? I don't no? remember hearing Owen Murphy's <laughs> name. No, maybe I'm wrong. Mm. If it was any other profession, says Jared, uh, they'd be sacked. So that's his thoughts. Well, on it. So Timmy, even if they were in the mm, chamber or outside the chamber, he's he's not mm, making an excuse okay. for any of them. Well, Timmy Dooley and Niall Collins have been sacked. Uh, they've lost uh, their front bench portfolios. Mm. Christy from Drogheda says, what happened to Swingate, Michael? Uh, this little thing will go on for three mm. or four days now until something else comes along. But I don't think the Fine Gael should be too cocky about this. They have their own house to clean up in relation to Swingate. The two members of the party were involved in insurance claims and at least where Fianna Fáil is concerned that people weren't going to make money out of it. OK, well, this is uh, an issue that uh, Thomas Byrne has uh, been mentioning, certainly about Maria Bailey, whatever about uh, a second person. Um, Jack, Jack texted in and his take on it is that it's the election mode is on already, that this voting thing is all about the election. Is it not possible to vote by proxy vote as is possible in other situations? Jack wonders. Mm. Michael from Enniskeen phoned in and he's wondering if any of the laws in the country are worth the paper they are written on now, given this controversy. If we can't trust the TDs on how they are voting on legislation, can we actually trust that the legislation is legally binding? Can it be challenged in any way? Well... Good question. Good question. And uh, one uh, that uh, apparently is being looked at. Yes. Kathleen believes that this is just the tip of the iceberg, that there's loads of others who have been doing it. Listening to your speaker this morning, Sean Defoe, mm. she's referring to, uh, it, it seems that you cannot see everybody in the chamber and where they actually are. So there's probably lots more who were doing it, that it was just one of those things that people did and got away with it up until now. Well, a, a lot of uh, people uh, say that they've asked somebody else to push the button for them but they were in the chamber 
Uh, and that seems to be accepted as uh, a practice uh, that is commonplace, it's widespread, uh, but uh, this idea of somebody being outside of uh, the chamber, uh, that uh, is a surprise to a lot of the TDs uh, who uh, find it is uh, questionable and objectionable and so on, but uh, it certainly uh, isn't prohibited under the laws of uh, the doll, let alone the Constitution. Tommy phoned in Michael and he was having a great laugh all together. Yeah. He says, Michael, bum identification, did I hear right? I've heard it all now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes, that's what somebody did suggest. Uh, another listener, David, actually emailed us in yesterday, Michael, on the same topic as we were mm-hmm. discussing it yesterday. And he, at this stage, he said that he felt that Lisa Chambers, Timmy Dooley, and Niall Collins should all be immediately removed from the doll. He said that Lisa Chambers said one thing on radio, and then she said another. He says, "How can we trust these representatives to leg- legally function in their roles for for us? We must make an example of them and put." them out of the doll. This is way too serious for a reprimand or a scolding. Put them out, says David. Okay, well, I think uh, Lisa Chambers has uh, defended her position saying it was an honest mistake and uh, one that she didn't make intentionally, uh, which is uh, different uh, to Niall Collins pressing Timmy Dooley's button when he was outside the chamber uh, on six occasions uh, knowingly and uh, that that was his intention. Uh, let's uh, go back uh, to Brexit for a moment, okay. if we can. Uh, we've been hearing uh, about how a number of votes will take place today. This uh, follows the attempt by the British government yesterday to have its withdrawal agreement voted on. It was ruled out of order, as you heard yesterday, by uh, the Speaker, John Burko, who explained that the cur- government can get its way if it so wishes. So what I'm saying to the Honourable Gentleman is that when he was getting the decisions in his favour, he wasn't grumbling. He's grumbling now because he doesn't like the judgment. But the judgment I've made is an honourable and fair one, and I'm afraid if the honourable gentleman doesn't like it, there's not much I can do about that. I'm trying to do the right thing for the House as a whole. And my last point, yes, my last point to the honourable gentleman is this, and it's very important not just for members or even particularly for members in the House, but for those observing our proceedings. Nothing in what I have said in any way impinges upon the opportunity for the government to secure approval of its deal and the passage of the appropriate legislation by the end of the month. If the government have got the numbers, the government can have their way and it's not for the Speaker to interfere. So those votes uh, will now take place as uh, we've been hearing Brexit has undoubtedly caused uh, a lot of problems in uh, the United Kingdom and raised a a lot of fears. Uh, It's not unusual, I think, at this stage uh, to hear talk of politicians going to jail. There has been talk of uh, the Prime Minister uh, facing a jail term if he acted in certain ways. Uh, But yesterday, the leader of uh, the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, highlighted an issue which really goes to show how ludicrous politics has become in the United Kingdom. As we've come to expect with this Prime Minister, this has been done with posturing and attempts to distract. But despite having told the British public over and over again he would never do it, the letter has, in fact, been sent. The request is not only legally necessary and prevents us crashing out of the EU with no deal, but the extension allows this House the space to scrutinise the Prime Minister's Brexit deal. 
I want to pay tribute to all those members who have worked hard to ensure a no-deal Brexit is ruled out, and I will continue to work across the House to ensure that this continues to be the case. Mr Speaker, the European Commission has confirmed today that Brussels is now considering the terms of an extension. Can the Secretary of State tell the House when he expects any extension to be granted? And can he categorically rule out the absolutely ridiculous reports yesterday that Conservative MPs are trying to amend the law to jail members of Parliament alleged to have colluded with foreign powers... Does he, like me, fear that for the Honourable Member for Shrewsbury and Atcham, who is telling everyone who will listen that he is trying to collude with the Polish and Hungarian governments to veto any possibility of Article 50 extensions? Oh dear. Jeremy Corbyn speaking in uh, the House of Commons yesterday and it goes on and on and on. It sure does. Can I go to something else mm. we were talking about today, Michael, on a company drivers? Because I have two differing viewpoints. Mm. Okay. First of all, Francie says, Michael, I think the laws for new drivers is an absolute disgrace. They are easy targets. There are a lot more reckless people on our roads these days who are more to blame, i.e. the ones who, who are more to blame than the ones who, you know, who are unaccompanied. Uh, there are plenty of drunk drug drivers and we should also factor in that the, the shambolic transport system that we have in this country. Some new drivers simply have no choice to break these zero tolerance rules, says Francie. And on the other hand, Marion phoned in and says, there's either a rule or there's not. Why should some people get away with it and some not? Uh, this law was brought in for a reason. Uh, what annoys me most about the Guardi is that some guards can let people away with it and some don't, and that's mm. not fair. OK, well, it seems as though the law is being applied differently in different parts of the country. Okay, we'll leave it there. Thanks, Marie, for that, and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. The Michael Reed Show. An hour and a half of Doyle time is uh, to be given over to government business. Uh, the Oroctus website uh, says that from three to half four, this will allow for statements on an acknowledgement and apology to the women and families affected by the cervical check debacle. Uh, we'll talk about this now with Louise O'Reilly, Sinn Féin's spokesperson on health. A very good morning to you and uh, thanks uh, for joining us here on uh, the programme this morning, I suppose. Good morning, Michael. Uh, the terminology used on the official uh, Roctus website uh, describing this as a debacle speaks for itself. It does really and um, I hope today that the, the women and, and their families and indeed the, the, the families of some women who have subsequently passed uh, who will be in the gallery and in around the, the doll and around um, Leinster House today I hope that those people get some measure of comfort because at the end of the day you know it, it's not for us mm. uh, that this apology is being given um, it's for them and I genuinely and sincerely hope that this goes some way uh, towards um, making you know Acknowledging what was done to them, and uh, and that this apology gives them and and their families um, some degree of comfort. I mean, for some of the people that are going to be there today, Michael, let's be honest, no, no amount of apology is going to make up because they have lost a loved one. Um, and but I hope that they will find some comfort in uh, the words of Antishok today, mm. um, and I hope that he. Uh, delivers for them something that that is that is enough. I mean, in, in some instances, of course, it'll never be enough, and we we all know that. 
Um, but, you know, as as, as Uthran Heron has said, words are important, you know, mm-hmm. words matter and words can heal. And hopefully uh, there will be some comfort for women today. And we don't know what the Taoiseach is going to say yet, do we? Uh, we expect that he'll acknowledge uh, the malpractice uh, that resulted in people getting incorrect results uh, and then apologise, uh, a formal state apology. Yes, and I think that's no less than their own. Um, I hope that the Taoiseach apologises on behalf of his government um, for the manner in which some of this was handled. Um, I think that would be appropriate. Um, and I hope that he uh, is able to make give people some small degree of comfort. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Michael, these women went to hell and back. And when they were on their way, uh, when they when they thought they were getting some sort of redress, uh, many of them were then dragged through the courts and it was only uh, by a drip feed of information. I mean, the women themselves found out through the media uh, a lot about their mm. own cases. I mean, that that's really not acceptable. That's no disrespect to the media, of course. Uh, you know, you're going you're gonna to publish a story when you get one. But the fact that sometimes the women were left to look at Twitter and to, to, to listen to the radio or read the newspapers or look online to find out what was happening with their own case. I think that's not acceptable. Um, that did happen. And I sincerely hope that today Antishak has the humility to acknowledge all of the wrongs uh, that were done and that he has the, uh, th- that he shows them compassion because I think that's what they're, they're owed at this stage. And also, I mean, let's be honest, I've spoken to these women myself. And I know you've had them on your show. What they always say is, you know, what happened to them was awful. Absolutely, we acknowledge that. But they themselves have campaigned to ensure that it doesn't happen to another woman. I mean, I've spoken to several of these women and to their families and they will say to you, look, you know, what, what happened to us, what happened to, uh, to, 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 to them cannot be changed. I mean, without a time machine, we can't change what happened. However, they want to know that steps are being put in place to ensure it doesn't happen again. And I suppose in that regard, it's, it's very disappointing that we've missed yet another deadline um, for the HPV screening, which uh, is a more definitive form of screening. And, uh, you know, will I think the introduction of that, plus the HPV vaccine being made available um, for, for girls and boys, I think that would be uh, a tribute. And, you know, I know that some of the women, I've, mm. I've spoken to them myself, and, and this is, is a Sinn Féin position that we would like to see all of the screening work carried out on this island. And I think that would be uh, that would be important. And, you know, we're hoping that in the coming days we will see some action because Sinn Féin has been calling for this for a long time, that we will see some action um, and some money to start repatriating that work. I mean, because a lot of what happened, Michael, and you and I have discussed this, and I do want to, to say fair play to you because you're one of the stations and one of the shows that have handled this issue very sensitively. And, you know, not to be hysterical, but to get the information out. And, and, and I know that that has that has been important to, to women who have listened because they've said it to me. But like, let's not lose sight of the fact women uh, gave, went, had their smear tests as they should do. It's really important. Uh, and then they found out that their their slides were outsourced then re-outsourced. And in some instances, uh, you know, they weren't able to say with any degree of certainty in exactly what location those slides were being read. Now, to my mind, and, and I say this as a woman that uses the service, I would feel much more comfortable if I knew that work was being carried out here mm-hmm. on this island so that people could have some modicum of control over it. And, you know, the outsourcing, we know that when, when Fianna Fáil outsourced it, they were told at the time it would lead to complications. But the outsourcing, I think, is at the root of this. And, and I believe it would be a very fitting tribute to those women to have 
um, a, a new lab here and to have that work carried out here on this island because I think as someone that uses the service that's the kind of comfort that I would need that, that I can say it's been done here on well, this island. I, I, I think the expectation is uh, that the Taoiseach will acknowledge uh, that there was a problem with outsourcing and that uh, more mm-hmm. slides were being outsourced uh, than were previously known but he may not go as far as you wish. He may not. And, you know, it wouldn't be appropriate in a speech like this to go that far. But what we want to see, um, because, as I say, words do matter, but so do actions. Um, So as a follow up to the apology, we would be hopeful um, that the the minister will now start to take some real and meaningful steps towards ensuring that that work is carried out here on this island. I don't think and I don't imagine for a moment that Antishuk will, will put that as part of his speech. Uh, a speech like that, it, the technical detail of, of, of what's required wouldn't be appropriate to that. But I think if you're going to acknowledge that there was an issue with the outsourcing, well, then you've got to be prepared to, to, to deal with what what is the antidote for that. And the antidote for that is actually having the, the slides read here by directly employed staff on this island. And I, I would like to see that. And I know that some of the women concerned mm. because they've contacted me, they would like to see it as well. We often hear calls for apologies to be issued on behalf of uh, the state to people for various issues. Uh, it rarely happens. And uh, I think uh, to a large degree that outlines the gravity of the situation. Uh, and there are legal consequences uh, attached to an apology of this sort. It's an admission of guilt. It's accepting liability and also an opportunity to apologise for the wrong that was done to people. Uh, but uh, it, it is a very significant uh, event uh, for Stephen Teep and Vicky Phelan, who will be among the uh, people who will be in the gallery today. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Lorraine Walsh, I think, and others will be there as well. And it is a very significant event. And, you know, I, I, I wouldn't in any way play politics to speak, to mm. Taoiseach will speak um, on behalf of his government today and the apology that he gives, uh, the state apology uh, that he gives today, I think would be very, very important. And, you know, as I said, words can heal, words do matter. Um, action uh, following on from it, I think, would be even more important, actually. But uh, I think for the, the people themselves and for the families, you know, I really do hope that, you know, not, not everyone is going to be here today and not everyone would want to be here today because for some people it's still uh, it's still too raw and they're still too hurt. But I think that, I, I and I genuinely and sincerely hope that anybody that is watching um, or listening to the apology today, that it does bring them some degree of comfort. I mean, for for some of these people, mm-hmm. there will never be comfort. They, they lost their loved one and, you know, or, or they're dealing with a terminal diagnosis and we know that. But uh, I do hope that it will be of some uh, small degree of comfort for them because, you know, we've discussed these cases and, and you know, having to go out to the media and be as brave uh, mm-hmm. as people like Vicky Phelan were, uh, she shouldn't have had to do that. She shouldn't have had to be brought to the High Court. She shouldn't have had to fight a gagging order. She shouldn't have had to go public with uh, mm-hmm. with details about her own life and about her health and about her family life in the way that she did. But my God, we owe that woman a debt of gratitude because if she hadn't done it, we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't have had the Scully report. We wouldn't have had the McCraw report. We wouldn't have had the pressure um, on the government to make the changes in quite the way that we did. And 
you know, I I hope and I'm and I know that he will. Uh, I'm sure that he will mm-hmm. acknowledge the the bravery of uh, women like Vicky and also those women who you know maybe didn't go public but did try themselves within the confines of the system to bring about the change and to to highlight the uh, the the need for change and to highlight what was happening. And you know, I mean, I think those women uh, and their families uh, are to be commended because if it wasn't for them. Um, we maybe wouldn't have found out, we maybe wouldn't have had a light shone on mm-hmm. this. Um, you know, and the other thing, and the, the women themselves would say this, screening saves lives. Screening is really important. Mm-hmm. You know, don't let what happened damage uh, confidence. Go and talk to your doctor if you need to. But please, and I, and I say this to, to women, I say it every time, and I know you, you, you always indulge me, but a few moments to mm-hmm. do it. Please do go. Get your smear test. If you're in any way symptomatic, go and talk to your doctor. If you have any questions, any queries, pick up the phone, reach out, get the help you need and make sure that you use the screening service because one thing we do know for sure is uh, screening saves lives and, um, you know, lives can be saved from a preventable cancer and that's where we need to get to is to where we do not see uh, people getting sick or dying from preventable cancer. And and we don't have uh, a repeat of these problems. I mean, that'll be the next step uh, from this. Uh, At least that'll be the hope when the Taoiseach speaks today. He won't speak for an hour and a half obviously, but he, he will speak uh, on your behalf and on my behalf and on behalf of all of the people in this country to the people and to their families who were affected by this and he will acknowledge and then apologise on behalf of the state and then there'll be the opportunity for you to make the kind of points that you'd be making today about outsourcing uh, these smear tests uh, and uh, indeed uh, mandatory open disclosure and other issues that have been raised through these reports and the recommendations. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the other um, knock on effects of this is that it has pushed into the spotlight uh, the need for mandatory open disclosure. And as you know, um, we've discussed this previously, Michael, uh, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael did vote against mandatory open disclosure previously. But I think now that we've had a chance to air this and have this public conversation, the realisation has dawned on, on, on everybody of the need for uh, mandatory open disclosure and the need to share with people, however, uh, whatever the nature of the news is, to share with them information and news about their own health. And I think, you know, what came out of the Scali report when I read it, and I am a woman who's interacted with the health service, um, was a kind of a patriarchal, patronising attitude to women about their own health. You know, I'd like to see that gone. Um, Gabriel Scali talked about about the culture and, and about some of the cases and some of the ways that, that, that people were spoken to. Mandatory open disclosure um, will deal with an awful lot of that. There's, there's cultural issues which I think you know the HSE will need to deal with obviously and the, the cervical check programme will need to deal with but hopefully this is uh, this this will represent a change in the way in which women are spoken to about their own bodies and about uh, their own health um, and that you know there's an acknowledgement that these women are adults they're grown ups they're able for the news whatever the news is if they ask a question uh, they're entitled to have that question answered in a full and frank way and not to have information withheld from them because remember this is what this is where this started um, you know was a directive sent out. Um, advising that uh, certain aspects of information not be shared with women in the first instance. And I think, you know, that kind of open disclosure and a, and a culture of openness and transparency, you know, if that's to come out of this, that can only be a good thing. Okay.
Thank you for joining us. I'm sure there'll be a lot of interest in uh, what the Taoiseach says on behalf of the state uh, by way of uh, an apology to the women and their families and indeed uh, the statements that will follow uh, from yourself and other speakers today in the House. But thank you, as I say, for joining us here on the programme this morning. Sinn Féin's spokesperson on health, Louise O'Reilly. Michael at lmfm.ie Well, as you've been hearing, abortion was decriminalised in Northern Ireland yesterday and uh, that came into effect from midnight last night. Eilish Mulroy, spokesperson with the Pro-Life Campaign, joins us now. And a very good morning to you, Eilish, and uh, thank you for your time. I think it was inevitable or it became clear that it was inevitable because of the amendments made in Westminster that this was going to happen. Uh, Is it inevitable that abortion will be legislated for? Well, it's very hard to know what's actually going to happen. It's a very complicated situation in Northern Ireland, as we know. But what happened yesterday, or at midnight tonight, um, basically it was decriminalised in relation to the Offences Against the Person Act and a moratorium on prosecutions uh, for abortions being carried out was introduced. However, the government is under duty to bring forward regulations to introduce kind of the new legal framework Mm. by next March. So in reality, I suppose what's happened is even more worrying. Uh, It's very dark and a very sad day. Uh, But in reality, abortions can take place from today in an unregulated environment. That's to say that um, people won't be prosecuted. Um, Whether or not they will actually start to happen immediately or whether it will be in March, um, that remains to be seen. Well, it's a really odd situation, isn't it? A peculiar situation in that it has not been legalised in the sense uh, that there is not legislation or uh, guidelines uh, which outline how abortions can be carried out or pregnancies can be terminated. That's right and I suppose anybody, whether on the pro-choice or pro-life side on this topic would consider that to be a very concerning situation leaving aside the fundamental problem of the removal of the right to life of the unborn child which of course many people in Northern Ireland are very, very sad and upset about today. Um, what happened was, as your, your, your listeners may, may know, it was Stella Creasy, who was a, a Labour MP in the British government, led this uh, kind of campaign to extend abortion to Northern Ireland if Stormont wasn't up and running by yesterday. And that bill was actually passed during the summer um, in July. Um, so the Assembly wasn't restored, as we know, despite efforts yesterday by the DUP, um, so the, the, the law does come into effect today, which just places the moratorium on prosecutions. Um, it's a very, very dark day mm. for Northern Ireland. Do you many, think, many people do you think there were genuine out. efforts by the DUP, or do you think, as others have suggested, it was nothing short of a stunt? Well, look, the reality is Northern Irish politics is very complicated, and there's a lot of other things going on there, that the, you know, in terms of the Assembly and trying to get mm. Stormont back up and running, generally speaking. But I think <clears throat> to describe it as a stunt was actually very um, insulting. Um, and it was descri- described as a stunt by um, members of Sinn Féin and the SDLP, uh, a party which, uh, as you know, has a technically a pro-life position. But to describe as a stunt the efforts of, of people from all over Northern Ireland, all members of the community across the religious and party mm. divide to make use of the democratic system to address this issue uh, is very insulting. Um, the reality is that this happened in July and, and the locally elected representatives had time to try and do something about it. Mm. And to, to, to suggest that um, 30 MLAs going in yesterday to try and pass legislation as they did before midnight as a stunt um, is, 
it's pretty insulting and it's also given the fact that so? there's no regulation. And if it wasn't um, a stunt, what was it? I, I mean, as you say, they had since July to mm-hmm. try and uh, find a, a way of restoring the institutions. Uh, there's been no real effort or no obvious effort in yes, relation yeah. to that. Uh, and then at the last minute, uh, they tried... Uh, what was a hopeless effort uh, to yeah. introduce legislation. There was no prospect of, of, of uh, them uh, introducing legislation yesterday. Okay, but, but you make a fair point, Michael, but just let's just think of an, an analogy to this. If the Irish, uh, if the doll was suspended for some reason, okay, because, because we know uh, the Northern Irish Assembly isn't, isn't uh, not operating because of abortion, particularly, it's lots of other reasons. If the doll was not sitting, and for some reason, um, the European Union said to us, if you're not sitting by X date, we're going to enforce or force a change of your corporation taxes and you'll lose all your American companies. I'm just saying, for example, yep, yep, and, if, yep, and if people were to go in last minute to try and change that, mm. as a result of, in fairness, a very big, probably, campaign from a huge number of Northern Irish citizens mm. who were talking and lobbying their MLAs to do this, uh, nobody would bat an eyelid in, in that scenario. They say well, you know, do as much yeah. as you can mm. until you cannot. And if you look at what but happens, when you know that's, it's that's, fu- when you know it's futile, uh, and you're doing it just to be seen, to be trying to do it, even though you know it's futile, uh, it, it really is uh, a stunt, is it not? Okay, Regardless look, of whether it's corporation tax or abortion. Look at what you're talking about, though. Mm. You're talking about the removal of the right to life of the unborn child. Now, even those who are on the pro-choice side would would would, ag- would agree that that is a very, very significant change in the law. Anybody would know that. Mm-hmm. And I would say that in, in that case and in that scenario, it makes perfect sense to do as much as can be done until the last minute, because this is a removal of fundamental human rights. This is law, abortion to be allowed up to 28 weeks, which is in the case of uh, uh, life-limiting conditions of the child, that's post-viability. That's a very significant change in the law. And the, and, and the Northern Irish people deserved their politicians to make every effort until the last minute. And I think it's really uh, kind of ironic that people like Michelle O'Neill would describe this as a stunt. I mean, this is the same person who, along with party leader Mary Lou MacDonald of Sinn Féin, were standing on the stage at Dublin Castle cheering last May and holding up a sign saying the North is next. And again, I think people on the pro-choice side of the debate, people who voted yes because out of a compassion, a misguided compassion, I would say, but, mm-hmm. but a compassion and fairness to them, were disgusted to see that level of cheering because abortion is not something to cheer well, about, I don't no matter I, what. At the same time, I so, don't think they'll mind you saying that and they wouldn't see it as a, 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 any degree of criticism. But having said that, uh, the law has effectively changed in that uh, abortion has been decriminalised uh, and it is now up to the politicians to put it in place, the legislation which will set out the perimeters uh, for which abortion can take place. Uh, there's a, a period of five months up to March of next year uh, for people to have to say a period of consultation and then at that stage it'll be up to the politicians instalment if they're in situ to come up with these new laws, is it? But, but, will, but that's only a Stormont is sitting. And, you know, there are yes. many who feel mm. Stormont may not be sitting that way. They didn't get to sit by well, this deadline that, 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 that was, for a while. That was my next and, question. What will happen uh, if it's not? Well, uh, presumably Westminster still steps in. And, you know, again, I have to go back to Michelle O'Neill and Sinn Féin and the irony of this. The irony that you have Sinn Féin politicians happy with 
legislative changes being brought about by Westminster uh, cannot be lost on people. And in fact, Michelle O'Neill said in June of last year, after the referendum in, in the Republic, she said when she was calling for legislative changes in Northern Ireland on abortion, because she's, you know, avowedly obviously in favour of abortion in Northern Ireland, she said that the legislative changes should be brought about, and I'm quoting, by locally elected MLAs and brought about in the Assembly. So, like, people have to see the irony of Sinn Féin being the people not going into Stormont, not going into the Assembly yesterday, and the DUB being inside, Union aside. So, okay, like, I but think there is no Assembly, there is no locally right. elected MLAs, uh, and uh, this is a human rights issue. That would be the Sinn Féin uh, argument, uh, and uh, that it is uh, the will of uh, the majority of people in Northern Ireland uh, for legislation of uh, this sort to be introduced. So, but, why, but, but there's no evidence that it's the will of people. Well, I think all the, 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 well, we the opinion we, polls we would indicate that to be the case, uh, and you'd have to imagine that uh, people in Northern Ireland don't think that differently than people in uh, the Republic. But no, but, but historically, Michael, it has been very different in Northern Ireland, the position on abortion, and people have been much stronger on the pro-life side. And if you look at the recent um, man, uh, demonstrations at Stormont, there were, there were thousands and thousands mm. of people at Stormont. Um, bigger numbers than you'll see anywhere else proportionate to the population. Remember, there's only a population of 1.5 or whatever in Northern Ireland that could stand to be corrected on that. Mm-hmm. But the, the numbers of people who, who came out in favour of uh, getting the Assembly back up and running in order to avoid these human rights being removed from the most vulnerable members of our community were very, very high numbers. So, so I, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't think it's fair to say that um, the position will be the same as 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 the Republic. Uh, and 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 it and it was right and just for MLAs to respond to their constituents who wanted them to go back into the assembly and do their utmost to try and stop this inhumane law, barbaric law, up to twenty eight weeks after viability of a child. It, it was an absolute right thing for them to do was to go in there and do their utmost. And to describe it as a, a stunt or any kind of a political pantomime is insulting to the people who looked for it and to the right to life of the most vulnerable the unborn child. Okay, but that's it. Uh, as such, isn't it? Uh, there won't be any rowing back on this now. Well, I think if Stormont um, is up and running again, uh, there is a p- potential for something to be done in the future. Um, but certainly today is, is, a, is a dark day. Um, but, you know, um, the reality is that the, 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 the people in Northern Ireland, there's many people who are very strong on the pro-life cause, and I don't think they're going to be... Um, you know, just uh, retiring today, they're going to be working even harder mm. to, to do their utmost to um, vindicate and to bring about a restoration of protection for the unborn. Well, I, I think Arlene Foster has said uh, she'll do whatever it takes uh, to try and repeal uh, these laws, uh, but uh, I'm mm-hmm. not sure that that's possible uh, under the way that they were framed in Westminster, but I suppose time will tell. Uh, we leave it there for the moment, Eilish, though, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. That's Eilish Mulroy, spokesperson for the pro-life campaign. Now, it's a, an issue that was uh, discussed in Westminster last night, uh, following on uh, from some of uh, the the discussions relating uh, to Brexit and to the importance of the role of Stormont, as you've been hearing this morning, uh, regardless of uh, what your thoughts on abortion legislation is, uh, there is no government in Northern Ireland. And the Northern Secretary, Julian Smith, told the House of Commons uh, that it is essential to get Stormont back up and running. We have to get this institution back up and running. Uh, 
powers from Westminster will involve uh, working with Dublin, will involve uh, a whole range of issues that we shouldn't have, be having to address. Those uh, men and women who work so hard for peace in Northern Ireland uh, need uh, and continue to remind us that we have to get uh, Stormont uh, back up and running. And I'll be working, as I've been working over the summer, to get, uh, along with the Irish Government, to get this uh, crucial institution running again. On the issue of consent, uh, this protocol has been subject to uh, huge uh, debate over the last few days. We've got to remember that one of the biggest criticisms of the last withdrawal agreement was the fact that it needed more say for Northern Ireland. Uh, it will have no impact on the petition of concern, on the day-to-day -day operation of the Assembly. Uh, this is an exceptional matter. It is uh, a, a reserved matter consulting the Assembly uh, we will be doing everything we can to ensure we make that clear. I've been speaking to members of the unionist community across the weekend, uh, but we do need to ensure that we now get this deal over the line for the United Kingdom and for Northern Ireland. So that issue of consent, obviously a big issue uh, for the DUP in terms of uh, the Brexit withdrawal agreement. And Nigel Dodds, uh, the deputy leader of uh, the DUP, told the House of Commons last night that it appeared to him uh, that uh, the government uh, looked on consent in different ways depending on the issue. The Secretary of State has outlined a number of areas where action is now going to be taken as a result of the, the, the Act, but on health, education, crime, policing, investment and all the rest of it, still the government sits on its hands and allows no government for Northern Ireland. Is he now realising that with Brexit coming that we have to have powers in the hands of ministers, whether in the Assembly or here. You can't go on abdicating that decision. And today in Belfast, Assembly members did meet. The Sinn Féin boycotted it. Given that the Prime Minister said on Saturday that a simple majority should apply in Northern Ireland as well, fully compatible with the Good Friday Agreement, can he apply that principle to the formation of the executive? Because four parties out of five would set it up tomorrow. Mr Speaker, the, just to be very clear on the Assembly, the petition of concern and the uh, arrangement for the Assembly will not change uh, under this uh, scenario. Um, I think, I say again, we need Sinn Féin, the DUP, all parties to come together because powers from here is not the solution to this issue. Julian Smith was responding to Nigel Dodds. The issue of consent was also raised by Geoffrey Donaldson of the DUP. So Geoffrey Donaldson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I cannot emphasise enough to the Secretary of State how important the principle of consent is to unionists. And the idea that a decision of the momentous nature of the one we will be expected to take in four years' time does not reflect adequately the principle of consent as expressed in the Belfast Agreement has serious implications for our ability to support the restoration of devolution without that safeguard. And I say with all seriousness to the Secretary of State, if this issue is not addressed, it goes well beyond this Brexit deal. Mr Speaker, I say again to uh, my uh, colleagues and friends in the DUP and to uh, unionists uh, uh, across this House and in Northern Ireland, uh, this uh, protocol is uh, for a reserved matter. It is not for uh, uh, the Assembly. Uh, the Belfast Agreement is extremely clear that uh, 
uh, there will be matters which will not be subject to uh, the consent mechanisms in the Assembly. Um, the Government will continue to work to ensure that this protocol, as the Bill goes through Parliament, is uh, executed in a way which is uh, reassuring to all uh, members and all parts of the Northern Ireland community. But remember, the issue with the backstop was a lack of consent. This consent mechanism intended to deal with it, but it has no effect on the Northern Ireland Assembly. The Northern Ireland Secretary, Julian Smith. 658. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally, and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Nessa Durkin of Drogheda Station is with us for the report this week, and we begin in Rathoth with a burglary. Yes, good morning, Michael. Um, on Friday night, the 18th of October, there was an incident that occurred uh, close to Rathout County Meath. Um, a lady was at home with her grandchild and she was in her own house. She heard male voices um, in the hallway of the house. So she was in one of the rooms and three men actually came into the room that she was in and demanded money from her. And they had balaclavas on them. Um, so if there was any person that was travelling on or in the area of the R125, which is the Rathout to Dunshockland Road, between 8 p.m. on that night to about half nine. On Friday the 18th of the 10th, who may have witnessed any suspicious activity or be in the possession of any dash cam footage, could they contact Ashburn Garda Station? Very disturbing story, no doubt. Uh, we'll go to RD, uh, where some life rings have been destroyed, I believe. Yes, unfortunately, um, the weekend before last, on the Saturday night, Sunday morning, uh, there were three of the life rings burnt at Riverwalk RD. Um, now, the whole um, life ring and the containers that they were in were burnt. So if anyone was around the area may have seen anyone acting suspiciously if they could contact RD Garda Station. We go to Dulik now where Garda are investigating a number of burglaries uh, and uh, indeed uh, there's uh, some vehicles of interest here in this yes, story. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a couple of burglaries around the Dulik area last week where um, vehicles were seen acting suspiciously around the same time. So on the Tuesday there was a house broken into at Athcarn Dulik Uh, and there was a silver Toyota seen acting suspiciously there around the area. So the following day on Wednesday, just shortly before 7pm at Downstown Manor, there was a male uh, in his his own house um, and he was confronted by four males who ended up assaulting him in his house. So they actually left in a high-roofed navy van, um, now unknown make, but something similar to a Ford Transit. Okay, uh, and uh, we go to Dundalk next, uh, where a business has been broken into. Yeah, uh, again, another premises broken into at the Coase Road um, Industrial Estate in Dundalk. Um, entry there was gained through the roof on just Sunday night, just gone. Uh, now, there were checks and cash taken from the office, uh, which is where they actually gained entry into this office. So if anyone saw anything suspicious um specifically around the Coase Road area on Sunday night if they could contact Dundalk Garda Station. OK, and we'll conclude in Dundalk with uh, another burglary. Yeah, again, another burglary on the Doylesford Road in Dundalk. Um, a lady returned home to find that her house had been ransacked. So I suppose the significant thing were here was that there were two tablets taken and a Lenovo laptop. There was also a diamond ring. So I suppose if anyone has been offered these um, items for purchase or even saw maybe somebody walking along the road with this property or something like this in their hands last Wednesday evening, could they contact Dundalk Garda Station? 
Okay, thank you indeed. Garda Nessa Durkin of uh, Drogheda Garda Station. And we'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. That's all the time we have for you today. Our time has run out of us once again. Before we go, let me remind you there'll be a podcast of today's programme available on our website, lmfm.ie, this afternoon. Thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching, and Chris Murray and the Control Tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss.